Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things evolving around the racing world. Today's episode is going to be talking about Richmond Raceway. Will this weekend's race return the track back to relevance? Then we're going to go a little farther deeper into a motorsport problem as a whole, talking about how when you criticize a series, it doesn't necessarily mean you hate it. And then we're going to finish off the episode with our best bets of the week. So without further ado, let's get started by talking about Richmond. A track who for the past couple years has technically is a short track, but if you were to ask a lot of fans, it, they would basically say it's a short track in name only. There really hasn't been any real memorable moments from Richmond Raceway, really since the 2016 spring race, where Kyle Busch and Carl Edwards, they were duking out for the win, and then coming out of turn three, Carl Edwards bumped Kyle Busch out of the way, and then managed to win the race. It's funny, because really ever since that race, can you really remember a race from Richmond? I mean, let's be honest. Let's go through. Now, I remember each race just because I remember basically any race. If you were telling me, name me a race from this season and, you know, have a, you know, give me a memorable moment, I can do it, but most fans probably won't be able to. At least the casual fans. So, 2017 season, I think the most memorable moment that came out of those races was the fact that Joey Logano got encumbered. That's not really a highlight. 2018. You can't really remember that much. I mean, Kyle Busch coming back from, like, in the 30s to win both races. 2019, Truex sweeping the races. 2020, nothing really happened in those races. And then 2021, I guess you could say that Alex Bowman managed to get by Denny Hamlin for the win. Other than that, there really hasn't been any memorable moments from Richmond since since 2016 race. The next gen does look to change that, however. I've talked about how with the bigger breaks, it will probably equal to more dive bombs going to the corner meaning more beating and banging, and it's going to allow a little more driver input because since it is a shorter track with less aero dependence now with the next-gen car, you're going to see a lot more driver skill have to take place, especially with the track with such bad tire fall-off as Richmond Raceway. So because Richmond is also kind of just like a really controversial track in the sense of you don't really know what kind of racing you want to get out of it just because it's such a different short track compared to others, I went over to Twitter and I asked, if I, I basically tweeted this, I have a question with the chance for your answer to appear on the new Motorsport Ministry. What do you as fans want out of racing from Richmond? And I had a couple of responses, so I'm going to read them out over here. We'll start off with at pit violation. Pit violation says for fans to stop itching and just enjoy. We'll get to that, you know, that kind of concept in the next segment, but I'm pretty sure we're talking about is how NASCAR fans, it seems like they just do nothing but complain. Then let's move on to my good buddy, Johnny on the track from Johnny on the track podcast. He said, good, hard, competitive racing. Richmond can deliver. It has in the past. And of course it has. I mean, you just look at the previous races from the early 2000s to the late 2000s to even like I've stated before a couple times, the 2016 Richmond race. Then we'll move on to my other buddy, NASCAR opinion. He says, racing. I just want actual racing. Make it a short track again. And then if you go into his replies, I'll include his as well. At Ryano H70, I apologize if I butchered your name. He said the Pontiac Excitement 400. I don't remember that race too well, but I'm pretty sure it was a pretty good Richmond race. And to end it off, let's go with my other buddy, Vanilla Waffers, a.k.a. Tyler V33 from the Field Filler Podcast. He says... 
I want to see more of a short track style of racing. I feel like this race has lost its mojo with the Gen 6 era. It, when it's all based on pit strategy, it can be a lackluster race. And it's understandable. I mean, don't get me wrong. Having strategy in racing, obviously, is going to be is going to intrigue the race a little bit. It's going to give that little extra spice, especially because, especially the casual fan, they don't really think of racing as a strategic kind of sport, which obviously it is. But when Richmond, when you can barely pass, and you basically have to rely only on strategy, it doesn't really help, especially because strategy only comes maybe once every 50 or 60 laps. So for the rest of the laps, you're kind of just watching cars just ride around with no passing going on whatsoever. So all, all kind of delving, except for the first one, all basically kind of rooted in the same kind of concept. We want Richmond to race like a short track again. Now here's another question I have. What do really we consider as short track racing? Do we consider it just racing with tracks that are just a mile in length or even smaller than a mile in length? Or is there something else to it? I've jotted down four key things that I consider when we're talking about short track racing. I think for it to be short track racing, you need to have low speeds. I talk about 100 miles or less going into the corner, or when you're in the corner, I should say. You got beating and banging side by side. You got close quarters action, which will obviously produce beating and banging because the drivers are so close to one another because of the low corner speeds. And you want the whole race to basically be dependent on 90% driver skill. You want as little to no aero dependence whatsoever. If you have aero dependence on the track that's less than a mile long, that's how you know you have a problem. Just look at the 2019 short track races like at Martinsville or Bristol or Richmond. We know Richmond can deliver this. It has in the past. I'm going to stop talking about the 2016 race, even though that was a fantastic race. But even look at the 2019 spring race. Yeah, the race was kind of a dud, but you had four cars under a second for the win. And this was with the high spoiler where, you know, trying to pass was basically non-existent. Or even look at the previously mentioned Pontiac Excitement 400. Or look at the 2014 race in the spring. Richmond can deliver this. Now, with the introduction of the Gen 6 and how aero-dependent that car was, it did hurt the track more than others. Especially because Richmond is a little bit longer. It's, it's about three quarters of a length. You do have a smidge of aerodependency that's involved. So when you have such an aerodependent track like, or a dependent car like the Gen 6, it's going to hurt a track like Richmond. But so far, we're 6-on-6 six on, six on next-gen races. The Daytona 500, Auto Club, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Phoenix, Coda. All were fantastic races that we can all say probably were improvements of the race of that of previous races last year. So going into Richmond, the race has a lot of momentum. This race coming up could bring Richmond back to relevance. It could make Richmond a true short track again. The whole argument of we only have three short track races of the year now, that could potentially be cut out of the equation depending on how good this race does. As long as we have sh true short track racing, like I talked about, beating and banging, driver skill, close court action, we can bring classic Richmond back to NASCAR. And let me tell you something. Richmond is such a finesse track. It's honestly a little more of a finesse track than Bristol, in my opinion, when it's not covered in dirt. So if you have a fantastic Richmond race where you can especially promote more of the driver skill than ever with this car, I think that's going to do wonders. Do I think we're going to get that? I think so. We've had such, you know, this car 
has had been such a handful for drivers that a track like Richmond, with again, we have so much tire fall off, I think it's going to do wonders with the next gen car. So this race coming up this weekend, we're really going to see how Richmond is going to race for many years to come. And this is really going to determine, are we going to see the old Richmond back? Or is it just going to be the same argument for the past couple years, the same about half decade, decade, where it's just Richmond isn't really a short track, but we'll have to wait and see to find out. So let's move on by talking about criticism. Criticism, as everyone knows, is something that it comes with everything we do. Criticism could obviously be both good, obviously could be both bad. You know, whether that's your job performance, like for example, I know I've had many criticisms for my job performance, obviously both good and bad, as I'm sure pretty much everyone on the planet has had as well. But just because you see, receive, or give criticism, it doesn't mean that you're spreading hate. There's this false sense out there that, oh, if you criticize something, that you hate it. If you criticize it, it's just hate, 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 and that's that. They're not the same thing. There's a difference between criticizing something and hating something. So when we criticize NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, or if you want to dive in further, criticize the drivers of the series, it doesn't mean that we're trying to spread hate for the series or the drivers. I'm going to give you guys a couple examples just for you guys to see what I mean. NASCAR. There's a lot of criticism out there for the past two to three years where we say that Chase Elliott and William Byron, they need to win more to be considered a legitimate title contender every year, or in case William Byron, just be considered a legitimate race win contender. That doesn't mean that we're saying that, oh, Chase Elliott sucks because he doesn't win enough, or hey, William Byron sucks because he doesn't win enough. What most likely it is, is it's the driver-specific fan saying, hey, my driver needs to pick up the pace. Because if he doesn't pick up the pace, if he doesn't visit victory lane more often, then how are you going to expect to be a legitimate title contender or championship contender if you can't even win that many races a year? Gone are the days of the 2003 format where you can get away from winning one race and win a championship. With a format like this where winning is end-all be-all, you need to win at least five-plus races a year to be considered a, champ a real title threat. Another one, NASCAR needs to get rid of stage cautions at road courses. You'll have the people say that, oh, it's just fans complaining because they don't like stages, so they're just finding another reason to complain. Not necessarily. How many people have said that they don't like the strategy where either you win a stage and you sacrifice a chance to win a race, or you don't win a stage, you pit, so you have a better chance of winning? Kind of takes a lot of the strategy element that was so fun at road courses during the pre-stage era. So fans, they want to see that again because they think it'll help improve the sport when you have multiple different types of strategies as opposed to just one or two throughout the entire race. It doesn't necessarily mean that they hate it. It just means that they're trying to give some feedback that they think can improve on the sport. Let's move on to IndyCar. This one is a criticism I've had pretty much ever since I started watching IndyCar. The marketing needs to improve massively. If you look on Twitter with like David Land, for example... He's, he goes back and forth all the time saying how oh, IndyCar's marketing is just hot, diddly garbage. But that doesn't mean that he hates the sport. He's probably a bigger fan of the sport than the executives of IndyCar are of the sport. But that doesn't mean he hates it. He's just trying to give criticism feedback what he believes is going to help improve the sport drastically because he thinks that there is a weak point and he wants to fix said weak point. Another one. You should not have two races at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course on the calendar. 
because you're going to burn out the fan base from going to Indianapolis three, four, five times a year, and you're going to have less of an audience. Yeah, you're going to have the Indianapolis 500 audience, but for the two IndyCar road courses, you're going to have maybe 50-50, where I suppose you only have one, you can have that full 100. But that doesn't necessarily mean they hate the road course. That just means that if you want to get more bang for your buck, take one off the schedule and maybe give it to a more diverse track or a different track on the schedule. Formula One, the Saudi Arabia track Jeddah is a dangerous track. That's not trying to say pick on Saudi Arabia just because it's a track in the Middle East and because Formula One is only there because of money. They're saying that because they've seen the incidents with Max Verstappen and Mick Schumacher. They're trying to take the driver's health into account with this track. They're not just saying that because they hate Jeddah. They're saying that because they have the driver's well-being in mind. And another one is DRS is too powerful. That doesn't mean that they hate new inventions for Formula One. That doesn't necessarily mean that they want to see that they don't want to see more passing. They're saying that because they want more organic, natural racing. They won't they don't want drivers to have to be so reliant on a gimmick just to make a pass. So and the funny thing is also is most of the folks who have these criticisms are hardcore fans of the sport. They want to see the sport succeed more than others because they dedicated their whole lives to it. If they hated the sport, number one, they probably wouldn't say a thing if they felt like the sport is screwing up. And number two, they probably even wouldn't know if the sport is screwing up because they wouldn't watch, period. I mean, if they don't enjoy the sport, if, they ha- if they're not hardcore fans or really just fans in general and they see criticism, they're probably not going to watch. They're going to spend their time watching something that's more worth their time. But because they consider this sport worth their time to invest their whole lives and money into, of course they're going to have criticisms because they want to see it succeed. So rather than saying that they're just hating on the sport every time they have criticism, maybe take their criticism a little seriously. For the most part, at least. Now, if it's like, for example, a NASCAR fan from Facebook, then I wouldn't recommend taking that that kind of fan so seriously. If you've seen NASCAR fans on Facebook, God help your soul for what you're witnessing. But the biggest vocalists are the ones that care. The biggest vocalists are the ones that want to see them succeed. Because they don't want to see their sport fall into the ground. No one does. Like, if you want to have a stable family relationship, but you feel like one party, one side of the family isn't doing their part, you're going to speak up. Because you care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't say a damn. If you want to do good at your job, but let's say you're a manager at a job, and you see your employees slacking off, doing jack diddly squat. If you care, you're going to speak up. You're going to say, hey, get off your ass. Let's go to work. Because you want to see the business succeed. If you didn't care, you just let them do their shtick, just leave them alone, let the business fail. You don't care, so you're not going to say anything. So if you hate it, you don't care. We've already established that. But that doesn't mean all criticism is based on hate. Most criticism is directed from fans who care about the sport and they want to see it prosper. Again, if they didn't care, they wouldn't say a damn thing. So rather... Then bashing fans who have a criticism, how about we maybe listen to them, take them a little more seriously, hear what they have to say, and maybe they do have a point, and we as fans as a whole can start to really see that. Because that's one of the reasons why there's such a big divide in the racing community in general. Because you have one side who's trying to you know, give feedback, basically saying, hey, we don't like this for this specific reason, 
here's what we should do to fix it. Then you get the other half is basically like, oh, you're just a hater. You're just a hater. You're not going to get anything done by doing that. You're just going to be stuck in this limbo where it's just constant argument back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth, and nothing's going to get done. The only thing that's going to get done is that motorsports is going to keep going down and down and down until we can finally, which we are, to be fair, we are starting to trend in that direction where you do see less people that are saying, oh, you're just hating it to hate, and they're finally starting to open their eyes. They're finally starting to see that, okay, let's take what they're saying into account. We keep going in that direction. We keep going to the direction where we're less, you know, talking just to say, oh, they hate it because they're criticizing it and start to realize that we care. That's why we talk. We talk because we care. If we can keep moving in that direction, then we're going to be better spot as a fan base. And in turn, because we really run the sport, not the drivers, not the executives, we as fans run the sport we keep moving in that direction, then we're going to have a prosperous future for motorsports. But again, we need to understand that just because you criticize, that doesn't necessarily mean that you hate. All right, so let's finish off this episode with my favorite segment of the week, best bets of the week. If you guys don't know how this works, basically I'll take a race that's going on for the weekend. I'll look at different sports book, look at the betting lines, and give you guys the top five and see which one that I believe is the best bet to place on if you were a betting man for the race. That doesn't necessarily mean that's who I think is going to win said race. This is just who I think you could get the most bang for your buck if they were to visit Victory Lane. So both races are, both betting lines, I should say, are provided by DraftKings Sportsbook for this instance, same as I believe last week with the races. And I'm going to be seeing the Cup race at Richmond, the Xfinity race at Richmond. So let's start off with the Cup Series race at Richmond. So we have, this year, this week I did a little bit differently because if I were just going through only the top five, there would literally be five drivers and only two of them would have different betting odds. So what I did for this week is I went through every driver with different betting odds and you'll see what I mean. So currently the favorite is Chase Elliott. He's at plus 850, followed by Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, and Joey Logano all tied at plus 1,000. Then you have William Byron, who is third technically, who is at plus 1,100. And then you got fourth is Reddick, Hamlin, and Ross Chastain, who are all at plus 1,200. And then you got Ryan Blaney in fifth, who is plus 1,300. I'm just going to say this right now. Ryan Blaney being, in the, being at plus 1,300 is a horrendous pick because Ryan Blaney and Richmond, it's like, apple, it's like apples and oranges. They don't go, they're completely opposite. Ryan Blaine, I think, only has like one or two lead lap finishes in his entire Richmond career. So the fact that he's plus 1,300 is just a waste of money, in my opinion. I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin at plus 1,200. I know Toyota's been struggling, but Hamlin, when he's not making a mistake and he's not in the back, he's consistently up front. We saw that at Even Circuit of the Americas. We saw that at Las Vegas. We've seen that at tracks where if Hamlin is up front, he will stay up front. So at plus 1,200, I like that bet. I think Denny Hamlin at plus 1,200 to win at Richmond, a track that he has three wins at, is a great bet to place on. And let's move on to the final race, the Xfinity Series race at Richmond. Ty Gibbs, Noah Gregson, and John Hunter Nemechek are all favored by plus 550. They are the favorites, followed by Justin Allgaier and Josh Berry, who are at plus 650. AJ Allmendinger is plus 700. 
Ryan Priest and Daniel Hemrick are at plus 1,500, so a pretty big jump, honestly. And then you got Sheldon Creed, Sam Mayer, Landon Castle, and Brandon Jones, who are at plus 2,000. I'm going to go with John Hunter Nemechek at plus 550. I don't really like picking favorites, but this is a track John Hunter Nemechek is very good at. Again, Toyota, very strong at Richmond. John Hunter won the Truck Series race here last year. I think John Hunter Nemechek at plus 550 is a great bet to place on. Again, not a fan of picking favorites, but based on all the drivers I've listed off, I think the best one, the one you're going to get the most bang for your buck out of, is John Hunter Nemechek at plus 550. And with that, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much. If you want to listen to the rest of the catalog, just search up the Motorsport Ministry on Spotify. You can listen to all previous episodes. But thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.